I want to clarify, it's crappy bosses that make crappy jobs. So just so as we're clear, there is no crappy job. There are crappy bosses who make the job crappy. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. And welcome to Digital Marketing Masters Season 4, where we're talking with business book authors that a lot of people haven't heard of, but you should have because these are all the good ones. So my guest today is going to raise the bar even higher this season. I'm sure he's ready to rise to the occasion. Dr. Troy Hall, how are you doing? I am doing great, but you know, Matt, if I were any better, I'd be you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, they say that one of the pillars of, of influence is flattery. Well, absolutely. And I've had bosses tell me that uh, flattery will get me everywhere. That's true. It will. Well, all of our listeners are super good looking and smart, so they'll know that. So, Dr. Hall has been featured on the Today Show, ABC, Beyond the Business Radio Show, and CEO World. And he's an award-winning culture strategist, speaker, best-selling author, and talent retention expert. And that is why I have you on the show today, because of your book, Cohesion Culture, Retaining Your Top Talent. And I wanted to ask you, kind of right off the bat, can you tell us a bit more about your book and and maybe how it's structured and then we can get into some ideas about content or uh, talent retention absolutely so cohesion culture first of all let's make sure that we create a framework around that so that the listeners will be able to understand every time we mention cohesion culture what are we talking about so a cohesion culture is a safe workspace where people have a sense of belonging are valued and share in mutual commitments so I have a PhD in global leadership and entrepreneurship, and my dissertation was in group dynamics with an emphasis on cohesion. And when I looked into how I might be able to really better use the research and the work that I had done, I found that there was a great missing within the marketplace in 2019. And that is there were a lot of books and a lot of information around the acquisition of talent, the training of talent, onboarding of talent, but very little regarding retaining talent. And I've always felt that employees are an organization's most important assets. And I always found it interesting how organizations would sometimes churn and burn people instead of realizing that they are individuals who have feelings and emotions and skills that can actually add to the organization. And if you spend all this money acquiring them, why wouldn't you continue them as top talent and want them to stay? You bring in somebody who's less than top talent? I don't think so. How people get to less than top talent, well, now that's another story, and I'll spend some consulting time with individuals to figure that out. So the book was written in three parts, and it was written so that once an individual bought it, they'd be able to walk themselves through leadership, which is the first section, building the culture, the second section, and bringing it to life in the third section. So there's two chapters dedicated to each one of those particular components. And the bottom line is this, and I'm sure because you mentioned that your your listeners were smart and probably good looking too, given that you are good looking. So you see, I'm assuming that, you know, people generally come around will understand that if the leader doesn't get it right, then it doesn't really matter the other stuff you've done. You know, Peter Drucker has somehow been coined with the phrase that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I like to think it eats it for lunch and dinner and nibbles on it somewhere in between because the culture of the organization is how the 
how the organization, how the people inside the organization will not only feel about each other, but feel about the tasks that they're able to do. And so the strategic framework of belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment can go over top of an organization's already existing culture and then magnify it. So we're not trying to make everyone a cohesion culture, but what we're saying is bring cohesion into your culture. And if you want to, then you need to do it through adding those three elements. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think one spot that people who have done, you know, some reading or some research on talent retention before where they might get tripped up a little bit is when you say cohesion, you don't mean engagement, right? Well, that's interesting that you say that. So here's some fun stuff. Cohesion is a causal phenomenon. It means it's cause and effect. So if you have cohesion and the elements of belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment, you get performance. You get performance every time. The level of performance you get with cohesion is the engagement that most organizational leaders are striving for. These are people who are, you know, they have a commitment to the organization, They're loyal. They're eager. These are individuals who will train someone else, who will take on additional tasks and responsibilities without being asked. Engagement is not about happy or satisfied. And when the literature talks about happy and satisfied, it's not causal. We're just sort of saying, yeah, you know, there's a correlation between people being happy and being engaged. But the reality is, if you want them engaged at the level I just described, then you have to get cohesion. And if you're up to it, Matt, I'm going to give, I'm going to ask you to participate with me with a series of questions and answers that will give our listeners how it is different from correlational data, why it's causal. Are you up to it? Absolutely. Good. So Matt, have you experienced a rainy day where you live? Yeah, almost every day. (laughs) Okay. And do you always open an umbrella when it rains? No. Okay. Have you been to the beach? Yes. Have you seen umbrellas opened on the beach? Mm, Yes. Good. Have you seen it rain because umbrellas were opened on the beach? No. Great. I can create correlational data between the two points of rainy days and umbrellas. I might even be able to reasonably forecast that there will be more umbrellas sold on rainy days than there would be on days that it, it is dry. But it is not causal. Rainy days do not cause umbrellas to open and umbrellas open does not cause rainy days. But when you have cohesion, you have performance at the level of engagement that I described. Can you have performance without engagement? Yes. But you uh, but you do not get that level that you are expecting if you have not applied cohesion and those elements into the to the concept. You know, there's there's a interesting kind of thought experiment from a while back now and um man i think it was from the the people who came up with the idea of the flying spaghetti monster some sort of like anti-organized religion thing but one of the things in in that was about correlation they all dress as pirates because global warming as global temperatures and sea temperatures have risen the amount of pirates in the world has decreased and it's an inverse correlation. So they dress as pirates to stop global warming. <laughs> and it's obviously silly, right? And, and and not something that works, but that's the way it's, it's descriptive of how correlation is not causation, right? That is correct. So I think um, an interesting thing is the effect of cohesion is 
is the engagement that most people are looking for. So are you saying that leaders who are trying to get engagement from their staff are looking in the wrong place and maybe they should be looking to start with cohesion rather than looking to start with engagement? Absolutely. So that is the way it works. With cohesion, you get performance. From performance, you get engagement. Therefore, with cohesion, you get engagement. And you get it at the level that I spoke about before, which is that individual who really is loyal, who comes in, who does what they're supposed to do, who does a little bit of extra, helps other people, is energetic, volunteers, maybe they're a a star in their community. All of that is a, a direct result of them feeling that they are in a place where they know they belong, someplace special, they have value. And the value is not just whether they're treated well, which is very important, but it's that they understand that their work is meaningful and purposeful. When individuals understand that they have purposeful and meaningful work and they understand how it connects to others within the organization, it establishes a value that creates a cohesive sort of way in which all the team members are interacting, even if they're not on the same team. They're interacting individually, but together they're creating a cohesive product or delivery of service to the consumer. And then the shared mutual commitment is when individuals feel this, then they're more likely to contribute to the desired outcomes of the organization. But one of the key tips that I will give the listeners today who are leading organizations for shared mutual commitments is this. 63% of all employees, these are not new ones, all employees are looking for growth, development, and advancement. To establish your first shared mutual commitment, I recommend that leaders talk to their employees during the onboarding experience and explain what their opportunity for advancement is. Now, I know that some leaders get all wigged out when I say this because they're like, well, I just hired the person. Already you want to promote them and move them on. Let me just tell you, 63% of them are going to do it with or without you. It would be better if you were able to keep them within your four walls than to make them look outside the four walls. So establish that commitment early on and give them a career track that you can have. What that will do is it will at least, assuming that you could create a three to five year track and the individual agrees to it, you'll stabilize your retention of talent for at least those three to five years because you've given them a direct career path and track. And it really boils down to the other part I I mentioned in the beginning, and that is leadership. Still, the number one reason that people leave organizations today is because of their disconnect with their immediate supervisor. And now specifically, it has been identified based on the lack of inclusion. So belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment does wonders for an organization that is looking for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Nobody wants to be just a replaceable cog in a machine, right? Right. And there's there's always that feeling. You hear that from people directly when they talk about why they left, you know, or why they're thinking of leaving a position. I think it's very clever to get people on a track of advancement right from the start. Right. A lot of times you don't even know what the track of advancement is at a company until you've been there for a year. And I'll tell you straight up, when I when I discovered that I could be a contractor, like an IT contractor, you know, 25 years ago, and that instead of working for half the money at a company, I could work for twice or more as a contractor. And then every six months to a year, I could take a different contract at another company and ask for more money. 
I like, why would I even get a job at a company at that point? I was like, there's no point. I could just hop jobs. Right. And, you know, I did end up taking a job eventually. And one of the biggest reasons is that they had a really solid team. They were a high growth company. There was lots of room for growth, right? To get into higher level positions or into management positions. And, you know, that, that company itself didn't work out, but it was, you know, no fault of the employees. But that was the only thing that got me out of job hopping was to have everybody rowing the same direction, right? And uh, everybody knew what the mission was. And it was a big sky high goal and everybody was trying to reach for that goal. And, and there was some cohesion in that team, right? Everybody was worked together and, you know, at least for a while. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that specific instance, but I definitely get what you're saying. So belonging, though, is a tough thing to generate. I mean, if you ask most leaders and you would say, how do you make people feel like they belong? They're like, uh, team building, we're going to go to paintball or something, you know, like how does someone even start to look at that? Okay, great. Well, one thing I want to clear up immediately is uh, doing paintball is a bonding activity, not a team building. There's a difference between team, team building and team bonding. Team building is you're actually creating a skill. So unless your company is shooting things and actually making a mark, then there's no skill in paintball. There is just the bonding activity of individuals getting together to accomplish something that they want to do. It's like bowling or pizza night or, you know, ping pong beer Friday, whatever it is that they happen to do. That's a bonding activity. So team building is important. So in the area of, of belonging and in team building, what you do is identify the skills. So typically where you find the types of skills that I have put together with a program that is the Cohesion Culture Wellness Program is to look at four specific skills that really interact with all leaders, whether you're an executive leader all the way down to the individual contributor. And it's communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and the other C is, I'll think of it in a minute, but there's, there's four C's So any, uh, in doing that. So the, the opportunity behind the individuals then for the skill is to say, which of these skills do we think we, wanna, we want to address and do we want to, to handle? When it comes to belonging, though, here's what I have organizations think about. This is how you can start to sense. You can do your own empirical observations. So social learning works like this. So leaders have an opportunity to apply that, this strategy. Social learning is observation, imitation, implementation. So employees will have observed what is happening inside their organization. They will choose to decide to imitate it, and then they will implement it so that others will see it, and then that cycle continues. What I suggest to leaders is that they look for the greetings that are happening in the organization. How are people interacting? How are they talking to each other? What do they say when they come in close contact, whether it's through a Zoom or an online activity or whether it's face-to-face -face within the organization? What are those greetings like? When I, did, when I had an opportunity to meet with the leaders at uh, Duke Manufacturing in Prague, they call themselves Team Duke. And one of the uh, real important criteria that they have is greeting their employees and that always ranks high in every employee survey in their organization where the employee feels that senior leadership really treats them like a person. 
and really is interested in some of the things that are interesting to them. And they know that they're not going to remember every particular detail, but they do engage in conversation that allows them to bring some of that information forward and try to really create that connection. So that is one of the first areas is really making sure that the senior leadership is greeting and interacting because that's when people feel like they belong when the supervisor helps them feel like they belong. You know, the absence of the supervisor and the executive team making an employee feel belong, guess what? They'll figure it out with the local team that they have. But what you don't want is for them to create a common enemy, right? Okay, so that's greeting. The other thing is you want to listen for, for laughter, now, it's not the slap your knee, har, har, har laughter. What you're doing is you're, you're looking for the lightheartedness that happens within the team. How are people responding to each other? Do you hear agitation in their response? Do, are people stressed out? Are they flitting around, running from one thing to another? Do they have flight of ideas? Are they, are they focused? Are they able to get collaboration with other team members to be able to figure out what they need to do? Is there burnout happening? That is the laughter that that you're looking for, that lightheartedness over the organization. And then lastly, it's affirmations. How are team members affirming other team members? That is a great way to feel like I belong. When you compliment me or provide some feedback to me on the work that I'm doing. And what I recommend is that if you are going to put an affirmation program in place, then the executive leaders and the supervisors have to periodically say something more than at a boy, at a girl. They have to say, this is what you did, super job, because it mattered to whatever. And so they're creating a connection between the purposeful and meaningful work and what that uh, work is and how it contributes to the end product or the end service that's provided to the consumer. Now, you can see how all of this now interacts with belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment, just listening to the interactions between them. And that's what the book sort of explains and goes into a little bit more detail in in each of those areas. I saw an interesting, I don't know how scientific of a study it was, but they surveyed people who had the response, good job from their supervisor and asked them what they thought of it and then asked the supervisor how often they think people might misinterpret that, like their staff may misinterpret it as being sarcastic, right? And the supervisors were like, you know, some some ridiculous number, 4% or something might think it was sarcastic. And it was like 60-something percent of employees thought it was a sarcastic response in an email, right? And it was just the, the fix for it was like, you know, adding two more sentences to the email kind of thing, right? Exactly. Because sometimes what happens is when we say, oh, you did a good job, that's almost the same thing as me saying, how are you? For the most part, people, that's an exchange. It's like, hello, hello, how are you? I'm fine. Okay, just a greeting that happens. So that's all part of just the greeting piece. There wasn't an intentionality for you to really figure out how that person was. And oftentimes, if you ask that question and the people respond, you're surprised that they actually took you up on the offer of telling you how they are. And they, they sort of describe the things that are happening. Interesting kind of twist on, on the whole thing is that, you know, by being more, I guess, friendly and engaging and, and, you know, looking at the things that matter to your employees and just acknowledging them, which seems like a no brainer for most people, right? But you get into a business setting and some suddenly everybody's like, well, I'm going to be professional man. And we're not going to have these friendly interactions like we do in person. 
Right. And the thing that sometimes leaders uh, get confused, there's a difference between being the friend of the employee or being friendly. So what we recommend and what we work with individuals is so that they will incorporate those sort of interactions with individuals because that emotional connection that people have with their organization is extremely important and it helps them to feel that they are a part of something and that they'll stay. Simon Sinek, he will will talk about the fact that when people are fulfilled in their job, when they know that their work is meaningful, it's purposeful, they feel fulfilled in what they're doing. They love their job. Another level of research has said when a person declares that they love their job, they are 87% more likely to stay than they are to leave. Now, the other 13% is because there are circumstances that are beyond the control and retaining talent isn't 100%. But if you do want to minimize the turn and burn within your organization, then these uh, suggestions and ideas that I can give you, some of which are captured within the, the book and others are within the consulting engagement and the executive coaching work that I do, then can really fine tune what the organization needs to do. One thing that you had talked about is how you can, you know, bring people into your organization who are kind of high performers and then keeping them high performers or having them become even higher performers, right? Which is what everybody wants. That's the goal. And it's interesting, actually, because I'm I'm editing my latest book right now. It's called How We've Always Done It. And in that book, I identify people as go-getters, right? The go-getters are the ones who understand the mission and they get where the ship is headed, right? And they're the ones who, you know, in college, you'd have a group product, group project, right? And six people have to do a project and one or two people do all the work, right? These go-getters are the people you want. But the problem is, and, and we haven't really talked about the problems of not having cohesion, right? When you don't have cohesion in your workforce, it's bad when people leave. But in some cases, it's worse if they stay. You know, if somebody is apathetic or complacent, they're going to drag down the rest of your workforce, right? And the people around them because they're miserable and your results are going to be terrible and, and your customers don't get treated well. And all these things all stem from this same, you know, the same group of symptoms where people are trying, leaders are trying to get engagement from their staff when what they actually need is a cohesive workforce that's kind of rowing the boat the same direction, Right. Right. And oftentimes in organizations, when I find that it's because the leadership has not been clear with the expectations for the employee. What they do is they constantly stay in somewhat of a coaching mode instead of understanding that at some point in time, you have to move from coaching to counseling. And so I'm always a proponent of training before terminating and giving everybody an opportunity and a reset. So I developed a cohesion uh, communication worksheet that I can use with organizations that help them figure out how they might be able to determine whether it is will or, or skill. So what is the reason that the individual does not accomplish the things that they want to do? Why are they apathetic? What is it that happens within that organization? So, and then there's some other, uh, some other techniques that can happen, something called a stay interview. We don't really have enough time to really talk about it. But for your listeners, I want to just tease them with some information to be able to look at that. There's an exercise that I refer to. It's a nine box 
model. And it's where you can group employees in nine boxes based on certain criteria and helps you begin to do some minimal assessment of the individuals. But there's also a lot of great work that can happen when you as the leader are coaching those individuals who may not necessarily be presenting the right um, position. And it could be because no one ever held them accountable. No one ever described to them what it was really supposed to be. And if you're a leader and you said, oh, yes, I've done that, then you do have to prune the tree. There isn't any other thing I can say. If I listen to you, if you tell me I've had all those meetings, I've had those conversations, the person isn't doing it, then I want to know how long have they not been doing it and why have you let it go on that long? And what did you think was going to happen? Did you think that something miraculous was going to occur? Did you think there was going to be a workplace miracle to occur? And all of a sudden the person was going to be touched and then they would be like, oh, I'm no longer apathetic. No, if you don't understand the value system behind the person being apathetic, that, that behavior that they demonstrated that you then identified as apathetic occurs like this. An individual has a value system. The value system occurs from something that we have interaction with our everyday world. It's the implication and the attribution theories at work. We create a value when we interact. That value becomes the basis of our belief system. When we say, I believe something, it's because we've attached a value to it. Oftentimes, it's not clear because some of it is conscious and subconscious working, but there is a value to the belief system. And sometimes people will espouse beliefs, but not have it attached to a value. They believe somebody else's beliefs. And so your opportunity may be is that you have to get in to figure out why do they believe that way and attach it either to a value that makes sense or find out that maybe their belief was not founded. From there comes their attitude. And that's where you're starting to see that apathetic piece. And all three of those elements work together to create behavior. And if you want to change the behavior of the employee, you must first address the value, not the behaviors they're doing but the values that associate with it. And so there are a series of questions that you need to be asking individuals to help uh, uncover what that is. Right. And I think that there's definitely a modern kind of push, you know, on, especially on social media and things to say, Hey, go out and leave that crappy job, you know? And, and a lot of people are just, you know, they, they go, well, maybe my job is crappy. Right. When when maybe it's not <laughs> right. You know, the the grass is always greener kind of thing. But I mean, yeah, there are a lot of crappy bosses and a lot of crappy jobs out there. Let's be honest about it. Right. But, you know, there are some great places to work, too. I want to clarify. It's crappy bosses that make crappy jobs. So just so we're clear, there is no crappy job. There are crappy bosses who make the job crappy or there are people who don't understand what the job is and didn't want to do that, but feel like they have to because they have to make money and this is the only thing they could get. So therefore, then they describe it as crappy. But realistically, if the job creates a function that does not ha- cause harm to self or others, it's a good job. It's it's the interpretation that occurs. And typically, it's the perspective and the perception of the relationship between the supervisor and the contributor that actually makes the difference. Well, and it's interesting when you see people who are kind of positive, upbeat go-getters. They're out there doing their thing, right? And and pushing the organization forward and all those kinds of things, or they're, you know, entrepreneurs or whatever, whatever the case may be. When you ask them about jobs they had in the past, you know, they'll be like, 
oh yeah, I, you know, I didn't like this job that I did, or I used to sweep the floor at the fast food place or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And you ask them about it and they're like, oh, well, you know, I was just, I slap on my smile and, you know, be happy to be there and, and talk to the customers and use my customer voice when I talk to them on the phone. Like they didn't go into work miserable. Right. And they the go-getters always seem to have this quality where they're like, I'm going to do as good of a job as I can, you know, under the circumstances, but keeping those people is the tough part because they are the ones who are going to get everything done and everybody wants them, right? Everybody wants your go-getters. So here's how you can keep some of your go-getters. It's something that is definitely prevalent in today's workspace and it's the entrepreneurial spirit. Individuals want to have autonomy. They want to know what the job is and the requirements and where you want to go. And they want some freedom to be able to do it. They want to understand what is their level of authority. Do they have money? What are their resources that will help them get the job done? They need to know that. They also want to understand the level of initiative that will allow the the item to be approved or the item to not come back at them like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you did that. How crazy are you for doing that? They want to understand what are the vetoes that actually happen in that process. So if you can start to establish some criteria and some parameters and boundaries, not to restrict, but imagine that what you're doing with the go-getter is creating the base and then you're leaving the top open so that they can get as high and, and go wherever they want. So imagine that the boundaries are not all four sides or six sides or eight sides, depending upon what you make it, but that it's really just focusing on creating a base where the individual can work from. And obviously flexible hours now becomes a part of the go-getter mindset to be able to, to do things. So I, that would be a way that I would help you think about that structure. Yeah. You know, it's interesting before a lot of the work from home and flexible hours stuff started, I remember working at Intel and Nike back in, you know, the early two thousands and they already had flexible time schedules and, VPN so you could work from home and, and, you know, a lot of that stuff is already done. A lot of people would go work in, in, in the coffee shop. So they built coffee shops in Intel, right? You know, and cafes and stuff. And people would go work in the cafe at Intel rather than go to an outside third party, you know? And so a lot of that, a lot of that culture is at work in, in some places who are very good at keeping talent, right? But yeah, I think, I think all of this is, Super valuable. I mean, I already learned a lot too. And uh, the book is Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent by Dr. Troy Hall. And Dr. Hall, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more? Well, if they want to learn more, then they would just connect with me at drtroyhall.com. And they can then along the bar at the top right, there's a connect form and they can just tell me what it is that they want to do and how they want to connect and interact with me. I also have a, uh, a short culture quiz that they can take on that first page where they go into the landing page and then they can respond to me there and then I'll reply back to them once they've actually done that. They'll get some information. It'll give them the score of what they put in for those top 10 answers and then they'll get a, uh, uh, they'll get some information that will tell them how that score really means in their organization, some tips and things that they might be able to do. So it's a meaningful uh, a program for them to do it. So hopefully they'll connect with me, social media, it's DR Troy Hall and all of those particular areas allow them to, uh, to, to find a way to interact with me. And one of the things that's most important to me when I'm working with individuals is to remind them of this. They don't have to know everything. 
It just needs to be teachable. That's right. Dr. Troy Hall, thank you so much for being on the show today. I think uh, I think we all learned a lot. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.